The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. That brings us to a new filing from Jack Smith. And just for context, we've told you before, there are many twists and turns in this case. But the Jack Smith coup case against Trump is the biggie. It is the one that could actually involve a felony conviction of Donald Trump before the election. Smith then goes on to do something that I want to share with you tonight. He outlines the potential crimes. Immunity could grant a president who orders the National Guard to murder his most prominent critics, or a president who sells nuclear secrets to a foreign adversary could grant them immunity for those very acts. And I mentioned movies, but instead of playing a clip, we'll just read again from the filing, because this could be right out of a political thriller. Quote, the nation would have no recourse to deter a president from inciting his supporters during a State of the Union address to kill opposing lawmakers to ensure that he remains in office unlawfully. Now, let me tell you, that is a chilling idea. A chilling idea, wow. Straight out of, this is like a John Grisham novel told in advance. Donald Trump, he could murder his critics. It's crazy enough to hear this from the regime, the talking heads, but what he just read there, that's in Jack Smith's case. <laughs> That's actually going before a judge. Your Honor, he doesn't have immunity. And uh, look, if you don't rule the right way here, he could kill some people. <laughs> You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show, the last show of the week. So sad. So sad. The week goes by. This is, I often say, the fastest hour in broadcasting. Sometimes it feels like the fastest week in uh, daily broadcasting as well. You can get to these daily shows live at TrumpetDaily.com or at the Rumble channel. I just got there got there a little bit late, had a few ideas late in the game. The clips are all disorganized. So we're gonna see, we're gonna see what happens today. Lots to get to, lots to talk about. For one, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's fascinating to watch the regime, the regime media squirm a little bit as they now say, you know what, we might have gotten into some of this a little bit late in the game. Maybe we should have gone after these convictions uh, a couple of years ago. Of course, Donald Trump has made this point uh, a little bit differently, saying that if this was legit, they would have brought this two, three years ago. But they waited and they waited. They were hoping that he would fail politically. And then they pull all of these indictments out of their hat at the last minute. And now they're really beginning to sweat because they know, they know there's a deadline here. The only one that really has a chance of happening, a conviction that is, is Jack Smith's. And now as the Supreme Court prepares to settle the case of uh, immunity or whatever, uh, they're worried, the regime is worried that things might be delayed as, as it would be for any normal case. But of course, as you know, Jack Smith wants it on an expedited fast track so that they can get Donald Trump behind bars 
before the November election, so many of them now, they're just saying the quiet part out loud. Listen to, uh, this is the, uh, what's his name? Michael Fanone, one of the Capitol Hill police officers. He's now a left-wing commentator. Anything and everything he can do to get Trump. This is number seven. I mean, when you mention all those investigations, um, you know, the Department of Justice undertaking and, you know, prosecuting more than 1,200 Americans for their actions on January 6th, uh, states now starting to debate um, uh, and make an effort to remove uh, Donald Trump from the ballot. Um, you know, all of those things, I, I think, are uh, a good start um, and necessary. Uh, I don't want to put too much stock into any one uh, institution. I think it's an all-hands-on-deck effort to make sure that Donald Trump doesn't assume the presidency in 2024. All hands on deck. <laughs> We've got to do everything. We He mentions the indictments, taking him off the ballot, whatever it is. It, throw everything at him. But they're running out of uh, arrows in the quiver, as Tucker said. And now they're... They're looking, they're sounding desperate, desperate. Joe Biden's got his big speech this evening at Valley Forge. Listen to MSNBC as they discuss what he will be discussing. Clip two. Yeah, certainly Trump and his allies have done an effective job convincing other Republicans uh, that what happened on January 6th was not that big of a deal to try to to downplay it, to normalize it. And President Biden simply isn't going to let that happen. Aides tell me from my reporting on this that he he's going to return to some familiar themes about defending democracy, about saying that it is indeed on the ballot this November. But he's his aides believe that when there are searing national moments like January 6th, the next national election becomes a referendum on what happened. And they think that the American people uh, are just so sick and disgusted of what happened on that January day three years ago that they won't chose, choose to go down that path uh, and pick Trump again. And today we'll hear from the president. Well, he'll, he'll evoke his setting of Valley Forge. And he'll, he'll talk about George Washington, not just as a defender of American ideals, but also someone who walked away, someone who twice gave up power, resigning his commission, leading the Continental Army, and then again, walking away from the presidency after two terms, setting that precedent uh, that his successors followed for centuries, and comparing that to Donald Trump, who, of course, fought to overturn the 2020 election, fought to cling to power, and President Biden will argue, remains a real threat to our nation's democracy. Yet another classic case of projection. On, on January 20th, 2021, Donald John Trump quietly and peacefully walked out of the White House and flew back to his home at Mar-a-Lago. He left. He left peacefully after one term, after they stole it from him. And he left peacefully. Compare that, if you will, to the dear leader who's been in Washington, D.C. for 15 years all through his first and second term. And then when the end of that second term comes, what does he do? He walks out the, the door, presumably. I mean, I guess he didn't. He probably had a motorcade of some kind. But he just walks a few blocks down the street to his new mansion. Where he can, where he can run his shadow government. Where, where he can run the deep state. It would have been easy enough for him to go off to Chicago or anywhere in the world. These people have houses all over the place. They've made tens of millions, hundreds of millions. But you see, the dear leader, 
He needs to be right in the middle of the deep state. He needs to be at the beating heart of the deep state because, well, we can't have phone calls and emails flying all over the place. He's got to do it in person. That way there's no paper trail. So they get together. Everybody and their dog now is acknowledging that Joe Biden's not running the country. Who is? It's Barack Obama's third term, really the fourth, if you count the four years that he carried out this rolling coup against Donald Trump, against the American people. You know, they made three years, and we're going to hear nothing (laughs) except for January 6th over the next 24 to 48 hours, when really, if you had an honest media, if you had patriots reporting the news, you know what they would be drawing attention to as far as anniversaries go? They'd draw attention to this day, January 5th. That's when the dear leader got all of his lieutenants together, just before he was leaving office, in a way that was far from peaceful. He, he, oh, he talked about it. He said all the right sounding things. Listen to what he said just a few days after Donald Trump shocked the world. This goes back to 2016. Here's the, the dear leader talking about how, how peaceful everything was going to be from his administration to President Trump's clip 12. So I have instructed my team to follow the example that President Bush's team set eight years ago and work as hard as we can to make sure that this is a successful transition for the president-elect. Because we are now all rooting for his success in uniting and leading the country. The peaceful transition of power is one of the hallmarks of our democracy. And over the next few months, we are going to show that to the world. We're all rooting for his success said Obama, even as he was plotting behind the scenes to come up with the Russian dossier nonsense, all of the Russian interference in the election. And then, like I say, January 5th, on this day, seven years ago, he got Sally Yates, he had Joe Biden, he had Brennan, he had all, he had uh, Comey, all of them. As they plotted how to spring the dirty dossier Because, you know, they're really concerned about sexual perversion. Go back and listen to yesterday's show if you haven't. That Epstein story, that should be the biggest story of the century. Because a lot of these elites are caught up into it. But they cover that up even as they create crimes. That's what Jack Smith is doing. Listen again to Barack Obama from November of 2016, number 13. Um... That's the way politics works sometimes. We, we try really hard to persuade people that we're right. And then people vote. And then if we lose, we learn from our mistakes, we do some reflection, we lick our wounds, we brush ourselves off, we get back in the arena. We go at it. We try even harder the next time. Look at the fake president there in the background, nodding away. Yeah, yeah, we'll put it to the people. Hey, we're going to try to sell our policies. And if the people say no, then, you know, we lick our wounds, we move on, and so on. None of that now. You don't hear that now. The fake president, he's not going to Valley Forge today. 
to talk about, hey, look at what we've done. Look at the spectacular success of these past three years. You just heard Jonathan Lemire say there that it's a referendum on the past. January 6th, that's what they think this next election is about. The, the, the next election is about a referendum on this man, those two men, what they've done these past three years. And Americans have decided in droves, you've got people who are Democrats switching over to Republicans. They've decided that this has been a dumpster fire inside of a dumpster fire. Americans, they're not concerned about what happened on January 6th. In fact, more and more of them sympathize with these people that have been persecuted for nothing. Maybe trespassing, maybe a few steps into the Capitol. They know it's unjust. They, they see what the deep state is doing. They see what they're capable of doing if they're not reined in by Donald Trump or the Supreme Court or wherever. There's not, there's not many patriots left. Yeah, we're really rooting. We're rooting for Donald Trump, said the dear leader. Back in 2016, my father writes on uh, uh, In America Under Attack, the, the book that we plug so often. He says on January 5th, 2017, that's seven years ago today. This is the anniversary we should be thinking and, 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 and considering and talking about and discussing. But it all happened behind closed doors. Nice little discussion with Obama and his deep state operatives. No paper trail. In fact, the paper trail that they made, they, they faked it. Sal, Sally, not Sally Yates, Susan Rice, that's right. Remember, as they were going out, she sent an email and said, hey, you know, we did everything by the book. The dear leader, he's so righteous. The dear leader did everything just by the book. And we've got an email after the fact to tell you, the regime media, that, that everything was perfect. It was a perfect transition. It was so smooth. This is one of the hallmarks of our democracy. On January 5th, 2017, President Obama met with his top intelligence officials in the Oval Office to get a briefing on the progress of the Russia-Trump investigation. Totally made it up. He wanted, the, he wanted a briefing on the progress of this fake investigation. My father says here, virtually all the key powers of government were present for this meeting about Donald Trump, who was about to move into the White House. You had Obama, you had Biden, you had Clapper, Rogers, Brennan, Comey, the usual suspects. This whole story, I mean, the, the story about the real important anniversary, January 5th, 2017. All of that's told in America Under Attack. The 800 number, if you don't have a copy yet, one 930 3024. This is, uh, I forget which source this is, going back to, uh, well, all the intel community leaders, as I say, all the usual suspects. This is from the New Yorker, March of 2018. It says the main purpose of the Oval Office meeting was to run through a startling report the U.S. intelligence chiefs were about to release to the public. The highly classified report included a two-page appendix about the dossier. See, they had to discuss the dossier. Everybody in the regime media knew that it was bogus. 
They knew that it wasn't. You, you hear them today talking about well, just the facts. And we, we verify everything. Sure, sure you do. That's why you're so interested in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal that involves Bill Clinton and others. They had to talk about the dossier because then it becomes newsworthy for Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper, who didn't believe it was true, hadn't verified it, said that, well, I mean, it was discussed in the Oval Office, so it's important. Who led the discussion? That would be the dear leader, Barack Hussein Obama. And then Susan Rice, the email, January 20th, 2017. It says here, one thing that I have done is to be pretty scrupulous about not wading into it. This is actually a quote from the dear leader. Here's the email from, <laughs> it's a whopper of a quote as well. Uh, the dear leader says, one thing that I have done is to be pretty scrupulous about not wading into investigation decisions or prosecution decisions or decisions not to prosecute. I have tried to be really strict, says Obama. I mean, he just stays out of it. He, he doesn't bother in the investigations. He doesn't meddle. He's in Washington, D.C. at this moment. This is exactly what he's doing. Smith, Jack Smith, marches to the dear leader's orders. So does Merrick Garland. So does uh, Joe Biden. All of them do. He never. How rich is it for the fake president to go to Valley Forge today and say, you know what? Trump needs to be like George Washington and just leave D.C. That's what he did. That's what he did even when it was stolen from him. Who didn't leave D.C.? Who won't leave? Who cheats? Who's trying to put Donald Trump in prison? It's, it's almost too much to take, isn't it? Here's Susan Rice's email. This is an email she emailed to herself. Happens all the time, doesn't it? I, mean, I must, I must email, myself, email myself five, six times a day. She says here, President Obama said he wants to be sure that as we engage with the incoming team, that we are mindful to ascertain if there is any reason that we cannot share information fully as it relates to Russia. That was part of the email. The other part, we did it all by the book. But here they are talking like angels of light. Yeah, it's a smooth transition. Of course it will be smooth. We're, we're really rooting for Donald Trump. You think they're rooting for Donald Trump? I mean, today, like I say, they're saying all the quiet parts out loud. They're saying everything that they would have said behind closed doors on January 5th, 2017. Now they're out there. You know, this former Capitol Hill police guy. Yeah, okay, the, the indictments. Uh, what else do we got going? Uh, yeah, yeah, Maine, Colorado. Got to take them off the ballot. These, these are all, this is a good start. Where will they stop? <laughs> Tucker, Tucker's talked openly about the next step being assassination. Listen to these people as they talk about as they talk about the Supreme Court. This was on MSNBC morning meltdown this morning. They're talking about the Supreme Court and all these lawsuits brought against Trump and whether or not they uh, maybe waited too late. Start with uh, clip eight. 
The, the, the point that I wanted to sort of try to sort of help readers work through is kind of where we are at this very odd moment in America. Mm -hmm. This is a Supreme Court, right, that in the last couple of years has totally upended the law on abortion, on voting rights, on gun rights, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Second Amendment and all that. And there was a period of time, you may remember, I'm sure you folks were talking about it quite a bit, after the uh, 2020 election where there were people clamoring for Supreme Court reform. Right, expanding the court, right. imposing term limits. The Biden administration sort of took a pass on that. Um, they had this uh, sort of commission that produced a report that was like sort of promptly forgotten. And you know, last year that Supreme Court tanked his his signature domestic policy initiative, the student loan. Uh, um, relief initiative. Those same people now are going to be addressing this disqualification issue. And, you know, so you have that being a very peculiar element to all this. And then second, you know, the Supreme Court also has to consider this issue of whether or not Donald Trump is immune from criminal prosecution. And that is now introducing a delay in the calendar and a question about when this criminal trial might occur. And that's, uh, that's unacceptable. We can't have any delays. This guy writes for the New Yorker, I think. Maybe, maybe something else. <laughs> In any event, they're melting down because we're running out of time. Listen again to the exchange on Morning Meltdown, clip nine. In the Justice Department's sort of original sin here was not investigating and moving this prosecution along more quickly. Um, there is another world in which, you know, if Jack Smith or someone else had been given the, the same mandate in early 2021, you know, Trump could have been charged uh, in mid-2022. We could have seen a trial, potentially a conviction, last year with the political knock-on effects now underway. That obviously did not happen. And so here we are now at the start of what I think is going to be a very rancorous and challenging year for everyone as a isn't it funny in some ways to see these people sweat, to see these traitors as the tables are starting to turn? We should have gotten in there in 2021. We should have taken, taken them out in 2022. Now here we are, and our fate rests in the decision of the Supreme Court. You think about the prophecy in Amos 7, Donald Trump to receive, finally, to receive some, some help and some assistance from the kingdom's court, as it says there in that passage. All that's explained, by the way, in America under attack. So, again, the, there may be twists and turns, even at the Supreme Court level. We'll see. We'll see how they come down on these states trying to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot. They're not talking about a smooth transition. They're not talking about, well, hey, let's put our ideas to the, to the ballot and uh, we'll, we'll trust the American people. We'll trust their decision. It's exactly the opposite. They don't trust Americans. And so they want to remove, the regime wants to remove Donald Trump, whether it's a unilateral decision like the, the crazy lady in Maine or the four radical justices in, in Colorado. Listen again to this, uh, this guy who works at the New York Magazine. This is uh, clip 10. I think if we were to roll back the tape, though, I mean, there were a couple of times when Congress actually could have gotten involved here, right? Obviously, the second impeachment, they could have disqualified Trump at that point from running for, for re-election. <laughs> Congress should have gotten involved. There's all kinds of things. They're looking back. They're rolling back the tape. What should we have done differently? We're running out of time now, clearly. So here's a guy writing at the New Yorker saying, you know, this is probably what the second impeachment. There was our opportunity. We lost our opportunity to take him out. 
along the way, remember, all of them, every day, nonstop, Trump's finished. Politically, it's over. He's, I mean, he's dead politically. There's no chance for him to survive. And as you know, you've lived through it. You've seen his popularity increase and intensify. One final one, this again. <laughs> they're having, they're, they're having, they're looking back and they're having their regrets. They're expressing it. Op- they can't contain themselves anymore. We've got to throw everything at him. And then to look, we'll just come right out and say it. The whole point of all these operations is to get Trump. Clip 11. Months. Do you have any sense of why it took so long for the Department of Justice to move? Well, look, there have been two sort of broad theories, and I'll sketch them out, but I'll tell you what I think really happened. One is that there was sort of this effort to do sort of a bottom-up criminal investigation. We start with the rioters, maybe someday we'll end up with Donald Trump. That theory never made much sense for reasons that I wrote about at the time, because that's not how real, large, uh, complex criminal investigations work in reality. You want to get to the top as quickly as possible. I don't really think that's what was going on. Another um, uh, 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 hypothesis, which was sort of borne out in some reporting I did for a uh, profile of Merrick Garland um, is that there was a real hesitance coming into uh, uh, office, both uh, on the part of Biden and Garland. They didn't want to appear to just sort of be going after Trump with a special prosecutor. They thought it would be too disruptive um, and and politically uh, uh, unsettling. That for sure was Biden's position. Uh, And I think Garland ended up sort of uh, uh, following it too, maybe held it independently. But I think that there was reluctance on this part. And I I know, you know, the Washington Post issued uh, a major report last year that I know you folks talked about, about that delay, uh, about sort of a year and a half long delay. And there, frankly, there is no good explanation, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> there's, no, there's no good explanation for the delay. I wish If we had it to do over again, I wish we could go back and just throw everything at him from the start. This is from America Under Attack. It says, this vast network of lies, talking about the Antiochus people, the dear leader, all his lieutenants, all these traitors, This vast network of lies, corruption, and lawlessness all points back to one man, Barack Obama. As we will see, this epic scandal would not have taken place if not for Obama's leadership of the Democratic Party and the radical left. That's what you see, the dear leader never left. He wasn't like George Washington in 2017. He just walked outside the White House a few blocks down the road and he sets up the shadow government says here, and there's proof that he not only was aware of the plot to pervert the 2020 election, but was directly or indirectly leading and or leading those pulling the strings. The dear leader, Barack Obama, he was behind the election steal. He had help, but he was directing the operation. It says many have referred to this as a rolling coup an ongoing insurance against American constitutional government, and they are right. Now listen to this again. Today we're focusing on important anniversaries, real insurrections, a rolling coup, the takeover of the United States government, the White House. This coup was initiated by Barack Obama before he left office in January 2017, even as he 
was writing that beautiful message instructing Donald Trump to guard democracy and the rule of law. This man was devising plans to overthrow Mr. Trump and return the radical left to the White House. So then he sets up the meeting, January 5th, all of those top government officials, a few of them fired pretty soon after Trump got into office, all of them should have been. I think Trump has learned a few lessons during these past seven years. But it says virtually all the key powers of government were present for this meeting about Donald Trump. Think about this. These highest officials, led by Obama, were strategizing about how to continue an illegal investigation on the next sitting president who would be their own boss. This is treason. That's all right there in America under attack. And look at, look at the country today on this seven-year anniversary of this, this plot, this coup, this rolling coup, this real insurrection, the takeover of the government of the United States. They said all the right things. Yeah, we're looking for a smooth transition. We're really rooting, we're rooting Trump on. And then the email to, to herself we did everything by the book. Andy McCarthy wrote at the time, we might counter that people who have lived by the book for eight years would not have to remind each other to go by the book. It would go without saying. If they were so lawful, if they were upholding the Constitution, you think they'd have to send little messages to tell everybody, hey, we just do things by the book. And these fools in the regime media they swoon. They swoon. This uh, arrest of, uh, it's footage of a Trump co-defendant, and it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the Jack Smith probe. That's, uh, that's how Politico reports this story. It says here, during a tense confrontation with FBI agents who were trying to serve a subpoena, Harrison Floyd a 2020 Trump campaign aide considered grabbing one of the agent's guns, Floyd told local police officers who arrived at his door shortly afterwards. So this happened some time ago, and the police body cam footage, basically this guy was, was roughed up by the FBI and fought back. He didn't know who it was. He didn't know if they had proper credentials. So after the altercation, he gets on the phone and calls the police. And then the back and forth that you see on this clip is basically him talking to the local uh, police officials. I think it's somewhere in Maryland. But listen to this man as he tells the police what, what happened. Clip 14. I took my daughter to the Goldfish Swim School. Yeah. I came back and there's these two guys who are standing so across the street. So we just, we just um, they came here, they followed me here? Yeah, so I'm coming down the side. These two guys and suits just run at me. I started yelling at one of them, like, who do you think you are? You're, you're, uh, I haven't seen any guy actually ever told me anything. I don't know who you are. You're grabbing, grabbing, touching me. I see daughter, who the And then one of them who's on the stairs has a, he, he goes like this, and he has a pistol in his hand, but I never saw a badge. Yeah. I saw a gun though. I saw a gun. 
you would think too, like, I'm, like, don't want to talk to you, engage with you, and they're, like, chasing me, like, you probably want to, like, stop, disengage, like, okay, this probably isn't the way, you know, or if you see a guy walking with his kid, they were relentless, and, um, they better be glad I didn't have my daughter with me, because if you hey, if you if they ran ran up on me on the street like that and not showing me a badge and trying to corner me like that, it would have turned the other way real quick. So here's I'm hoping you can be a gentleman. Listen yeah. to this for a second degree assault. I'm the one that called and asked for help. I, no, I, I understand. I have my daughter. There's a camera downstairs. Okay. Okay. So again, I I, I haven't read a lot of details on uh, this particular story. But uh, evidently, he's talking to local authorities, and then the FBI returns, and then they, they finally do arrest him. These are Jack Smith goons, basically. These are uh, FBI goons that want, they want it to turn into a violent altercation, because then they can hold it. Then it's your word against them. Here's a, here's a good story to go through on this supposedly very important third anniversary of January 6th. Because the FBI, as it happens, they were there in the crowd and they were inciting violence. They, this is why the local law enforcement at the Capitol was firing flashbangs into the crowd that, that was, in one case wasn't even moving. They, it has to be violent for this to fit their narrative. That's what the fake president's going to Valley Forge to say that Donald Trump and his supporters are violent. They're white supremacists. They they won't leave office peacefully. It's exactly the opposite, isn't it? This uh, Politico story here again, and you'll see how this ties in with uh, this anniversary, January 5. It says the subpoena and its accompanying letter this is Politico again, were signed by Assistant Special Counsel Jonathan Harry, a veteran uh, prosecutor in Washington, Matthew Graves, who now leads the massive Justice Department probe of the riot at the Capitol in January 6th or on January 6th. So a lot of these names, they just keep reappearing. All these deep state operatives, all these traitors. It says the presence of Smith's staff uh, of Harry, who once served as the deputy chief of the fraud and public corruption sanction at the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. has not been previously reported. Harry, Harry joined law firm DLA Piper in 2014 after a job at the Securities and Exchange Commission. He appears to have returned to government service about a year ago, around the time that Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed Smith uh, the special counsel post uh, in November 2022. It says here, while the federal court filings don't name the FBI agents, a police report released to Politico this week with the video under the Maryland Public Information Act identifies them as Walter Giardina and Christopher Meyer. It says Meyer's name is also visible in the paperwork accompanying the subpoena seen in the body cam video. Uh, Giardina, who is assigned it to the FBI's Washington field office and like Floyd, is a former Marine and an Iraq war veteran has had roles in a number of high-profile, politically charged cases in recent years. He worked with special counsel Robert Mueller's probe, including on aspects of the investigation of potential, potential foreign influence advisor, uh, foreign influence on Trump 2016 campaign advisor Michael Flynn who briefly served as national security advisor. It says, Giardina also took part in the arrest of another former Trump aide, Peter Navarro. 
Now, to just bring this back to the rolling coup triggered by the dear leader on January 5th, 2017. This is from Sundance. He had a report on this, this arrest uh, last night. Yeah, the, the Politico, the Politico uh, piece caught his attention because he starts seeing the same names popping up. Sundance says, first, the non-pretending big picture, the Clinton exoneration FBI team became the Trump investigation FBI team, that would be Crossfire Hurricane, which then became the Robert Mueller FBI team, exact same people plus some additions, he says, which then became the January 6th investigation FBI team, exact same people plus some additions, which then became the Jack Smith FBI team, same exact people. It says not only is it one long continuum, but it's also the exact same people. All the same players. A few of them have come and gone, and they've gone off to MSNBC since, because they fit right in with the regime media, with the regime's talking points. Look at how excited Ari Melber was. <laughs> this is like a, a thriller. I'm reading from a thriller. Donald Trump, he could come back, and he could commit murder. So, Judge, we've got to prevent him from ever coming back. I mean, you can make that ridiculous, deranged case about any human being in the world. But all you need to do, I mean, you just need to find a judge. A crazy, wacko, left-wing communist judge. There's plenty of those to go around. Except maybe, maybe, in the Supreme Court. Listen to one of Trump's uh, attorneys, Elena um, Habba. She was on a, a podcast recently, Clip 4. When you know the facts as an attorney and you know what actually happened behind closed doors, and you know what he did and didn't do, not what the press is saying he did, not what the Jack Smiths are saying he did or want you to believe he did. The real facts, the fear level comes down a lot. Then it becomes very simple. We have to be able to fight a corrupt organization. That's what it is. It's corrupt. But if you have a judge who wants to get Trump wants to take him down, wants to be a part of taking the chess piece down. If you have this main woman, I don't even know her name. That's how, how little I care. What's her name? No. Whatever. You have this woman wanting to be a lawyer, wanting to be a part of this liberal radical movement. And we don't have the ultimate court, the Supreme Court, check these people. That's when we're in trouble. But I do still have faith in the Supreme Court. So I think that right now for Donald Trump for taking that piece off, it all goes, frankly, up to the Supreme Court. That's where it is right now. And that's why they're panicking over at MSNBC, because they're they're fearful that the ruling at the very least, they're fearful that it'll just stretch out the Jack Smith case to where we can't we can't convict him before November. But they also fear a ruling that would go against them. This last bit from Sundance, his post last night, he's referring to the Politico article discussing the FBI agents and the DOJ officials who signed the subpoena that stemmed from Jack Smith is not really surprising other than the confirmation of the same D.C. based FBI agents and D.C. based lawfare operatives. This is lawfare on steroids. 
And I mean, it gets them excited. It gets Ari Melber excited. You heard it at the cold open. Oh man, it's like a John Grisham novel. The fact that Trump could be a murderer. How about that? Where does it stop? What the attorney for Trump there, Haba, she says, uh, you know, we haven't even gotten to the October surprise yet. Listen to this final uh, bit, clip five. They want to hit him on all fronts. And by the way, we don't even know what the October surprise is going to be. I feel like I've been in an October surprise (laughs) for a year. But they're trying to hit you so that you lose faith in him. But what they're forgetting is you're so obvious that we have more faith in him because he hasn't quit. I would have quit. I mean, he has not quit. He has not come down. He has not stopped talking. He has not become more reserved. He is who he is. And uh, and I'm not worried in that regard. But I'm telling you, they would try and put him in jail. Of course they would. She knows. She sees what's happening. She's actually going through all the court documents. And she has some bit of faith left in the Supremes. Should be an interesting year. If you want to, if you want to uh, remember an important anniversary, today is one of them. Today is one of them. January 5th, 2017. That's when Barack Hussein Obama assembled all of his lieutenants there in the White House just shortly before he was going to leave the White House, but not Washington, D.C. And they, they wanted, he wanted to get an update on the progress of this Trump-Russia collusion hoax. It was a plot from the beginning, and it was formalized, this, this plot, this rolling coup, on January 5th, 2017. That's all in America Under Attack. If you don't have a copy, make sure you call our operators today and request your free copy. It's one 930 3024. When we come back, we'll conclude today's show with uh, this week's uh, installment of World Watch and then a short Bible study thereafter. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, Social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. 
If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. Iran has tripled its production rate of near-weapons-grade 60% enriched uranium, the United Nations nuclear watchdog reported on December 26. The increased production is reversing a previous output reduction from mid-2023, the International Atomic Energy Agency said. Since mid-June, Iran's two main enrichment plants have been enriching uranium up to 60% at a rate of about 3 kilograms a month. Since November, production has increased to 9 kilograms per month. Iran already has enough 60% enriched uranium to make three nuclear bombs if that uranium were enriched further to 90%. U.S. officials have said it would take Iran less than two weeks to turn the enriched uranium into a nuclear weapon. Despite U.S. sanctions, Iran continues to push for nuclear weapons. To learn more about how Iran's aggressive pursuit of nuclear weapons fits in with end-time Bible prophecy, read The King of the South. China and India received nearly all of Russia's oil exports in 2023, Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak said during a December 27th interview with Russian State TV. The news confirms that China and India are playing a key role in perpetuating Russia's war against Ukraine. Before Russia's full-scale invasion began early last year, European nations bought 40 to 50 percent of Russia's crude exports, the U.S. bought 7 to 8 percent, and China and India together bought around 20 percent. After Russia invaded Ukraine, the U.S. and Europe boycotted and embargoed Russian oil in an attempt to punish Russia and reduce its means of funding the war. But China and India have frustrated those attempts by dramatically increasing their oil purchases. Many onlookers have been surprised to see China and especially India supporting Russia's brutal war. But Bible prophecy indicates that Asian nations will join forces against the West in the end time. To learn more about the importance of the alliance between these nations, read Russia and China in Prophecy. Germany is considering bringing back conscription for its military as it struggles to find enough soldiers, Deutsche Welle reported on December 29th. The Bundeswehr aims for 203,000 soldiers by 2025, but it is currently far short of that goal. Germany suspended conscription in 2011. Since early 2023, German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius has contemplated ways to field more soldiers, including reinstating conscription. When Pistorius shared his ideas about conscription, he faced strong criticism, including from his own center-left Social Democratic Party. However, parties in the conservative opposition, such as the Christian Democratic Union and the Christian Social Union, support the reintroduction of conscription. The trumpet has warned for decades that Germany will strengthen and expand its military. Russia's war on Ukraine is accelerating this trend. Bible prophecy shows that Germany will soon lead a unified, militaristic Europe that will play a major role in world events. To learn more, read our Trends article, Why the Trumpet Watches Europe's Push Toward a Unified Military. To learn more about current world news and how it relates to Bible prophecy, please visit thetrumpet.com. The latest installment there from uh, World Watch. Lots and lots going on in the world.
today. Over the last couple of weeks, I've uh, been drawing attention to this, uh, this quote in uh, Mystery of the Ages, where Mr. Armstrong talks about higher education today, how that it's a, a combination of the agnosticism of evolution, uh, also the politics and the economics of Karl Marx, and then thirdly, the morals and social patterns of Sigmund Freud. Mr. Armstrong wrote a lot about Freud in his literature, The Missing Dimension in Sex and other writings. Freud was a, a neurotic, cocaine-addicted sexual deviant and also a plagiarist. So he would have fit in perfectly at Harvard today. He was, he was above all, he was motivated by the pursuit of fame and wealth. And it was a struggle. And a lot of his writings, they weren't even, they weren't even that well received early on. Sadly, it was higher education here in America that really gave so many of his weird and perverted ideas uh, a platform. And today he's seen as, as uh, you know, a distinguished scholar, <laughs> a philosopher, Mr. Armstrong says this about Freud in Missing Dimension and Sex. He had decided that sexual repression, the attitude of shame, the ignorance, the, and ignorances about sex were the causes of neuroses and many mental disorders. So, in other words, there should be no restraints on sexual behavior. It says here, he and his followers in the newly appearing profession of psychiatry urged haven't they solved a lot this new profession from late 1800s early 1900s look at how much mental disorder there is today i mean compared to like 1850 the fruits god says judge by the fruits tells you everything you need to know here's the the emergence of this new profession and all of a sudden there's so many mental disorders and diseases look at our cities so many zombies just stumbling around. A lot of them are up on drugs, but uh, a lot of, there's a lot of demonic activity for sure. But a lot of mental disorders. It says here, if repression and self-denial caused the neurotic disquiet, why not reverse the interpretation of morality? Emancipate the people from restraints. Put a new definition on sex. Define it as good, not degrading, shameful and evil. Any use of sex, in or out of marriage, anything goes, Freud said. I mean, this is how we'll solve mental problems, by removing restraints. This is what Freud wrote in 1884. I've been reading about cocaine, the effective ingredient of coca leaves, says which some Indian tribes chew in order to make themselves strong. Freud says, now I, I want to get some of this substance for myself and for obvious reasons, try it out on cases of heart disease, then on nervous exhaustion, particularly in the miserable condition after morphine withdrawal. There was actually a case where Freud suggested to a patient that he get on uh, morphine and cocaine. This is from Kyle Smith at the National Review. He's reviewing this book about Freud. I forget the author. I've read through part of it. But it says that appetite was from an early age for fame and riches. This is what motivated Freud in his pursuit of these weird and bizarre ideas, which Freud relentlessly pursued by championing one faddish quack remedy after another, 
backing away when justified criticism made his position untenable, covering his tracks with misleading or even completely false claims about what he'd been up to, then bustling on to the next gold mine. It says, in 1884, for instance, in the giddy throes of a fondness for cocaine that Freud would indulge on and off for some 15, 15 years. And this is the one that higher education today is propped up on. I gave you that quote from Missing Dimension. Look at what Herbert Armstrong said about these supposed pillars of higher education. As I say, he was right. He was right. Romans 1, I read through some of the verses from that passage the other day, drawing attention in particular to verse 22, where it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So much foolishness. So much foolishness. And yet, you listen to the words, like I was saying in the first segment, we do everything by the book. Look, we're here, it's going to be a smooth transition. Yeah, we're really rooting for Donald Trump. Oh, yes. Satan comes as an angel of light. That's in uh, 2 Corinthians 11. He comes as an angel of light, and uh, it's the same with his ministers, his lieutenants. Verse 24 here in Romans, Romans 1, it says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. That's what, I mean, Freud really spearheaded that movement. People just dishonoring their bodies in every way. And, and Freud said, look, it's okay, because it'll make you more stable mentally. How about that? There's a way which seems right to a man, it says in the Proverbs, but the end thereof, the end thereof are the ways of death. One more verse, I think I can squeeze in, verse 25 here in Romans 1. It says, who changed, the, God just gave them over. Does this sound like God's trying to, trying to desperately save the world? God said, look, if you want to reject me, I'll cut you off from the tree of life. Go it alone. See what kind of a civilization you can produce. Verse 25, it says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creation more than the creator. This is what they do in higher education. They worship the creation, certainly not the God who brought it all into existence. We'll have to continue our study, our study, our never-ending study on this subject sometime next week. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. Some of you, we appreciate you joining us all week, and we'll see you next week.